Now hear the word of the Lord from Mark 15, beginning in verse 15. Pilate wished to satisfy the crowd, and he released them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put on his clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, deciding what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, quote, the king of the Jews, end quote. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, waging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and they put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw in this way that he breathed his last, he said, quote, truly, this man was the son of God. And there were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him. And ministered to him, and they were there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let me offer just a few comments to you from this passage in Mark 15. And uh, our church here in First Baptist, we've been going through Mark this spring. The story of the Savior is what we've called it. And last night on Monday Thursday, we talked about Jesus being the sorrowful Savior. And today we're going to look at Jesus, the sacrificed Savior. Reflect for a moment on the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. What does it mean? 
what images come to mind. Sacrifice is one that comes at the expense of another. Who is the other in the case of today, this Good Friday? The other that the Savior is sacrificing for is sinful, disgraced humanity, which originated in the first Bible reading we read today from Genesis 3. Psalm 44 says this, beginning in verse 9. This is the psalmist crying out to God. He says, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. And you have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter. And you have scattered us among the nations. It goes on to say how they are taunted. And they receive derision and scorn of those around us. They're a laughingstock among the nations, it says. And finally, it finishes with, All day long my disgrace is before me. This is the people of God. And shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us. The taunting, the derision, the scorn, the disgrace on God's people. And now look at Mark 15. Who is the taunting directed at? Who is receiving the scorn? Who is taking the shame and the disgrace on himself? Look around at Jesus' company in Mark 15. As he's being crucified. Who are those that he comes into contact with? Just in these 20 verses or so. Let me give you the list. And I want you to identify with them as I read them. First, Jesus is encountering a murderous insurrectionist by the name of Barabbas. Our nation was rocked with what many call an insurrection just a couple of months ago. Something many of us had never thought we would ever see in our country. And yet here on the very pages of scripture on the day that Jesus was crucified, an insurrectionist who was a murderer and a robber, the people pick him over Jesus. This is the vile, grotesque, sinful man substituted for Jesus. Secondly, the Roman battalion, beginning in verse 16. Jesus comes into contact with them, and it says that they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in purple. They put a crown of thorns on him, and they mocked him. They called him king of the Jews. A battalion was one-tenth of the Roman legion, probably 600 men. 600 men surrounding Jesus, potentially that many. And this is the crowd that you could say, quote, I'm just doing what I'm told. They probably didn't even know who Jesus was, maybe. But they were just doing what they were told. Give this guy a hard time, was probably their instruction. Third, it says they encounter, in verse 21, a passerby by the name of Simon of Cyrene. 
who may have been a Jew, maybe not. We don't know his whole story, but we know he had come a long distance, maybe even from his home country of Cyrene, which is in northern Africa. Picture this as potentially a black African man who Jesus' cross is now being carried by. He's a cultural outsider. He's a foreigner, one who's on the outside looking in. And God pulls him into the story of salvation. Fourth, it says Jesus hung on the cross between two robbers in verse 27. One on his right and one on his left. These are criminals right next to the story of history. Certainly metaphors. Jesus was counted among the transgressors, it said in Isaiah. And here he is between two robbers crucified. We learn in other Gospels that one of them asked Jesus if he could be with him in paradise. And Jesus said, I'll see you today there. The other one, his back surely turned to him. Fifth, verse 29. It says, those who passed by him. Jesus hanging on the cross and people just walking by. And what do they do? It says they derided him, waging their heads at him, saying, Ah, you're the one who said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Come down and save yourself now. Who are these people? They're just passing by on their way to the market. And they're hurling insults at Jesus. They probably haven't engaged Jesus at all before this. They probably don't care a thing about him. He just was another criminal on a cross who was being put to death. They're just piling on now because it's fun. They probably never heard Jesus teach, or if they did, they just ignored it and said, oh, this happens all the time. And they're deriding Jesus. Sixth, it's not just the passerbys who deride Jesus. Verse 31, it says, the chief priests with the scribes mocked him. These are the holy mockers. These are the ones who did listen to Jesus' teaching. These are the ones that did see Jesus as a man who knew the scriptures. They are the religious elites who think they have all their theology figured out. And they are ruthless to Jesus at this moment. And they're wholly mocking him because they think they know better than the Son of God. Next, verse 35. It says, and some of the bystanders... So those who weren't passing by, but those who actually stopped at the cross and were standing there, unnamed people. It says they tried to get him some wine on a sponge to get him to drink it. And then they said, wait a second, let's see if Elijah will get him down first. These are the questioners. Those who haven't quite made up their mind yet. The ones straddling the fence, you could say, of not not sure what they thought of this Jesus yet. They said, let's just wait and see what happens. Maybe Elijah will save him. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but I just can't commit yet. They had no sense of faith in Jesus. They needed firm answers. And then you see the centurion, who in verse 39, it says, when he saw how Jesus breathed his last Surely seeing the obedience of this man who loved his father, when he saw that, he confessed. Surely this man was the son of God. 
an unlikely convert, but he couldn't deny what he was seeing. Lastly, who does the passage end with? Women. Women. In verse 40, it says there were women looking on from a distance. From a distance. They weren't even bystanders. Maybe they weren't even allowed to be close to the cross. They were standing at a distance, either out of fear or out of pain. But they were looking, and their purity of heart is what's shining here, their faithfulness. They were probably not listened to in their society, but they were followers of Jesus, no strings attached. It says that these were the same ones who followed him and ministered to him from Jerusalem earlier. And it says there were many other women. Again, picture the amount of women that were following this Jesus with purity and faithfulness and heart. Out of these options, to whom does your soul identify with today? That's the question confronting us as we gaze at the cross, at the one who is bearing the disgrace for us sinners. Whoever you are, you are part of God's story. Jesus has been sacrificed and substituted in your place where you should have been. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, you have turned from a disgrace to God to a deep and firm and eternal embrace. And so as you see this painting above me of Jesus embracing the man or the woman, the person, may that be your identification. Let me read just a couple of quotes as I finish, and then we'll go into another time of prayer. This is from Miroslav Volf, who wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace, talking about how as believers in Jesus, we have been transformed into people who can be reconcilers and can embrace our enemies even as Jesus embraced us, the disgraced. This is his quote. An embrace always involves a double movement of opening and closing. I open my arms to create space in myself for the other. The open arms are a sign of discontent at being myself only and of a desire to include the other. They're an invitation to the others to come in and to feel at home with me, to belong to me. In an embrace, then I also close my arms around the others, not tightly so as to crush and to assimilate them forcefully into myself, for that would not be an embrace, but a concealed power act of exclusion. But gently, so as to tell them that I do not want to be without them in their otherness. I want them to remain independent and true to their genuine selves, to maintain their identity, and as such become part of me so that they can enrich me with what they have that I do not have. Jesus on the cross is giving the fullest embrace on humanity and offering to give us what he alone can give us, an intimate embrace of true sacrificial love. Cyril of Jerusalem, an early church father, puts it more succinctly. Quote, God stretched out his hands on the cross that he might embrace the ends of the world 
For this Golgotha is the very center of earth. Jesus on the cross of Calvary, the greatest act of hospitality the world has ever seen. Sacrifice embraces disgrace. And that's what the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, shows us on this Good Friday. We're going to enter into one more period of silent reflection and prayer, contemplating this piece of artwork. And this is the prompt for us before we hear Jesus' last words on the cross. This is the prompt. Jesus is the one and only perfect substitute who willingly and obediently sacrificed himself for sinners. His embracing the cross has enabled us to embrace him once again. Now in response to Mark 15, spend this next moment in prayerful communion with God, remembering that our relationship with him and the world's redemption is possible only through his sacrifice and substitution. Let's pray.